Will you join me in prayer? God, thank you for the chance to engage your living word today. May you open our hearts and our minds as we come to your holy scripture and learn what you have for us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Today's uh, first scripture reading will be from Psalm chapter 96, verses 1 through 9, and that can be found on page 550 in your pew Bible. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be revered above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. Tremble before him all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
So we come to God. Come to God in worship. We come to God and give of our lives. We come to God expecting that God is leading us together to do the work of God's reign on earth, to live lives of fullness, responding to God's call. We come together, responding to that call, hearing it and being here with each other now. Let's hear our second scripture reading as we journey toward the cross, the season of Lent, and toward the expectation of Easter Sunday. We're going to read from John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. It's on page 94 in the New Testament portion of your Bible. And it's a longer text, so make yourself comfortable. (laughs) I shortened what I was thinking about doing, actually. So uh, it's 1 through 26, and it tells the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard, Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself, but his disciples who baptized. He left Judea and started back to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well, and with his flocks and his sons he drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I give them will never be thirsty. The water that I give them will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming back here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that that the place where people must worship is Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews." But the hour is coming and is now here that the Father, that those true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks 
such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Let us pray. Lord, may we hear your word for us in this text today. May you open wide the good news of your kingdom to all who hear it and all who seek it. Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we are on the second Sunday of Lent, the days that lead up to Holy Week, the celebration of the Last Supper, Good Friday of Christ's death on the cross, the waiting of Holy Saturday, and the glorious celebration of resurrection on Easter Sunday. Now in this season, we are turning our hearts more toward God through practices of prayer and fasting, breaking bread together. And we're also examining, as a congregation, what it means to find more vitality in our life. Working with the Presbyterian Church's Vital Congregations Initiative, which you see that beautiful uh, display in the narthex about, we're going to be going through seven marks of vitality during the season of Lent. Can anyone remember what last week's mark was? Shout it out. Good, it really stuck. (laughs) Lifelong discipleship. That was our first mark. Congregational vitality is marked by a group of people, excuse me, who are continuing to learn and grow in their faith. People of a long obedience in the same direction as Eugene Peterson might have said. And last week we talked about simple practices that root us in our faith that form us day after day. We talked about washing our hands as a spiritual practice, the way that we take a moment to pause and pray and consider the health of those around us as well as ourselves. I hope you had a chance to consider that this week. Who did, while they were washing their hands, think just for a little moment longer? Did you, did you pray and breathe as you did? I hope so. We're going to talk, excuse me, we're going to talk a lot about health and wellness in this season because it is a conversation, sorry about this again, it's a conversation that's going on in our world a lot, is that right? So as we go into our next week, or this week's topic, I want to just remind you to keep washing your hands. But now we're going to move on to the second mark of vitality. Before launching in, I want to uh, find some striking parallels between the marks and the conversation about virus spreading in our communities. Uh, The mark that we're going to be talking about today is authentic evangelism. And it's haunting in many ways the way that this parallels the news. Of course, as the people of God, we have to be asking ourselves about what our faith lives out as compassion 
and care in the midst of very practical issues around us. How does it do that? Today's mark of vitality, authentic evangelism, for me, triggers all kinds of connections with what we're talking about in the news. Now, you may scoff at those terms at first blush. First, evangelical has been, uh, become a quite loaded term in our country. If authentic evangelical looks like standing on the street corner and yelling at people, or political overtures on very narrow topics, or lifestyles, or if it means handing out tracts, I bet you say, no thanks. If that's what we're talking about, then you'll just settle to get a C on this mark of vitality. Or, as we said in seminary, P is for pastor. That's right. You might also be haunted like me at the striking connections with the spread of disease when we talk about evangelism. Are we supposed to get out there and share our faith in a communicable outbreak kind of way? Yikes. We're supposed to respect people's personal space, correct? Keep our healthy distance, wash our hands. But as with all such things, we will find in Christ there is a more excellent way. The way of Jesus models authentic evangelism that gives great hope. It fills us with calling and possibility, and it opens wide a way that we might call the good life, a life found by drinking living water that Jesus has to offer. So now let's turn to the text and see how this happens. It was a long reading, I know, I know. But my hope was that you have a sense of the story. There's a thick plot between Jesus and the Samaritan woman here. A few things to note. The location of the story is incredibly significant. John places the well in Samaria near the ground that Jacob, called Israel, had given to his son Joseph. This is Jacob's well, a significant place of meeting in the Old Testament, a place where Jacob meets his bride. For the hearers of the Christian world, there would be echoes of Jesus coming to the well, perhaps to meet a bride as well, a promised one, the one who Jesus had come for. Now what's problematic, though, is that Jesus doesn't meet just any woman there. He meets a woman that he should definitely not associate with. First, she's a Samaritan. And the text points it out explicitly. In verse 7, it says, Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus shouldn't be drinking water with her, let alone asking her to serve him. She's a second-class citizen, unclean in his mind, or at least in the Jewish perspective. And to add insult to injury, we go on to find out that she's been married to five men and now is on to her sixth who isn't her husband. Hold on to that number six for a moment. It's significant. The drama on the story hinges in verse 19 when the woman recognizes that Jesus is a truth teller, a prophet. She wants to know what it looks like to worship God because she has heard this truth about living water from Jesus and she wants in. 
And here is where Jesus blows the whole thing wide open and big again. Let's hear what he says again. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You will worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all these things to us. And Jesus said to her, I am the one who is speaking to you. You want in on this, is what he says. God is spirit, and God invites you to find true worship. You think the place matters? Hey, you disciples and hearers of this word, you think it matters that I've gone to Jacob's well? Well, I'm going to usher in the kingdom right here and now, Jesus says. I sure am doing this, but it's not in the way that you think it's going to happen. This thing is getting big in this message, and it's leading us all to living water, something worth sharing. Remember I told you a moment ago to hold on to the number six. It's significant. Five husbands, and she's on to the sixth one now. That sets up this beautifully symbolic connection with a pretty important number in the scriptures. Seven. Seven is the number of completion in God's story. Five, and then six. Well, what about the seventh? Not literally, but what about a seventh in the way that this woman is discovering all that she has longed for in the way of Christ? What about the symbolism can we glean here as we hear this? Jesus' completion, the way of exploding wide the places of worship, from God being on some mountaintop, what if it comes in suddenly opening the kingdom of God wide to people such as low as Samaritans, the outsiders? What if we are seeing that the bride of Christ is a people called the Gentiles, bigger and more expansive than ever considered possible? What if we are seeing in completion Jesus offering living water, water of the good life, to a woman who should be condemned and disregarded because of her race and her life? This is good, is it not? This is good. This is the wedding feast for us. Jesus has just blown this thing wide open. Jesus has shared the good life of the reign of God with this woman that she desperately needed. And he's shared good news to someone in an authentic, loving, and inviting way. We need to take back the word evangelism. Because this is what it is. It is sharing in living water. The word evangelism comes from the Greek word euangelion, 
which translates as good news. We have to retake this word, evangelism, for what it is. It is good news. Don't we want good news? Don't you want to share good news? That's what evangelism is. Think about it this way. Don't you want to share good water, the water of life with others? You say, hey, friend, you're thirsty. Have a drink. We're all looking for the good life of health, stability, connection, loving relationships, a way to worship God that is meaningful. We long for the good life. Evangelism, authentic evangelism, looks like sharing the good life with others. And how do we do this? Well, that's the greatest part. There's all kinds of ways for us to share it. Perhaps it means inviting a friend out for coffee to show you them, that you care for them. Perhaps it means planting a tree in your neighborhood to make it a better place. Perhaps it means seeking out the lonely and saying, hey, let's find a place for you. Evangelism is also sharing the good news of being loved by God with others. It's sitting with a friend whose addiction has gotten the better of them and saying, hey, I get it. I've been there too, and you don't have to walk the road alone. It's loving our enemy to their face because they are worthy of love. That is sharing the good life. The good life is the life of completion, fullness, wellness, health, grace. And authentic evangelism looks like sharing that good life with all people. I want to draw us to a close by making connection to this great struggle that we've talked about a few times in the service so far, this virus that we worry about spreading around our world. It might, it might sound like sharing the good life means inviting people into sharing germs and disease with each other. Because you've got to be with people, right? I'm supposed to pass a cup of water that I've already drank out of to someone else? Uh, that's against advised medical procedures. Just so you know. What if someone's sick? I mean, do we go and be with them in all of their water droplets? Does sharing the good life look like saying, perhaps this, hey friend, I, I know it's not advisable for us to be in a large group together, but you should totally come with me to church on Sunday. Is that, is that what sharing the good life should look like? We've got plenty of hand sanitizer there. Come on down. What if instead, sharing the good life looks like this? Maybe we find people who need that water, that living water desperately, and we go to them. But we all wash our hands when we do it. And we take care when we're sick so that the vulnerable among us can be safe. Maybe we find ways to worship together that make it accessible for all people to be here. And for those who can't, we record it and make it available to them so that they can continue to participate. Maybe we share our things and readings on social media and on our website so that folks who didn't feel like they could come to worship, they can still access it. What if we shared the good life 
by saying to the ones who live in fear, hey, I'm a part of a community that wants to help you when you're in great need. What if we let each other know what we needed and we made it very easy for each other to reach out for living water through connecting with each other and calling each other on the phone and emailing each other and making sure we know who needs help. We can do the face-to-face stuff as well, but we can be connected in so many more ways than that that allow us to care for and nurture life in Christ together, sharing that living water. This is hospitality. This is welcome. This is us being the church in way bigger ways than just us gathering together. When the woman tells Jesus that she's waiting for the Messiah, he replies, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. The good life in Christ is one of opening and hospitality, of welcome and possibility. It's a life of forgiveness and mercy. It's a good life sharing good news with those who most desperately need it. So friends, may we share this faith in Christ's name. I close with this. How do we see this happening? How do we celebrate the way that the good news is being shared among us? And how do we find more opportunities to grow and deepen in this as we gather in our life together? I hope you'll help answer those questions. Let's pray. God, we stand before you in awe and gratitude for the wondrous love that you have lavished upon us, this living water and the fullness of life that we have been invited into here as your people. Lord, we will not be a people who live in fear of the other, the outsider, but we will be people who enter into relationship and care as you call us to, Lord, sharing in that good life with all people we come in contact with. Lord, in this time where we fear what it means to connect with people, sometimes face-to-face, we ask that you would open wide opportunities for us to share your good life and good news in creative, expansive ways that we cannot even imagine right now. Lord, we will not be limited. We will ask for your providence to care for us as we go out and stand as your people of faith. So Lord, provide what we need. We ask for your safety on all who are in vulnerable health situations this week and always. We ask that you would keep us strong and healthy as your people so that we might be the people who share good news. We pray this in confidence, knowing that you walk with us, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.